benediction in your Bibles or flip open to it in your smartphone uh, to uh, chapter 3 in Revelation. This morning will be our last uh, sermon, not in Revelation, if you guys got excited for that, uh, but in this uh, early part with, uh, of the seven letters that Jesus is addressing, the seven churches in Asia Minor, uh, that the whole letter is, uh, the whole book is addressed to, uh, and then we're going to take a break. Uh, I uh, alerted you guys to this a few weeks ago um, for the next month or so, uh, depending upon how the, the sermons shake out. I'm still working out all those pieces, but uh, to look at uh, dust and glory, what it means to be human. Uh, what does uh, it mean to be made in God's image or this uh, classic doctrine, the Imago Dei, uh, being made in the image of God? What does it mean for us to be human? Uh, and that's where we're going to take a, a short break to kind of discuss that sort of a topical sermon series, and then we'll jump back into Revelation uh, right before Christmas. So, um, but this morning, we are looking at the last of these letters, the message to the church in Laodicea. Um, well, in, uh, on, on January 12th, 1928, E.H. Simmons was uh, president of the New York Stock Exchange, and he said this on January 12th, I cannot help but raise a dissenting voice to statements that we are living in a fool's paradise and that prosperity in this country must necessarily diminish or recede in the near future. This was a statement two years before the Great Depression in which the stock market crashed and clearly the prosperity that he was speaking of did not last and it didn't diminish, it sort of disappeared, right, immediately. Uh, this, right before that happened, there was this uh, sense for the president of the New York Stock Exchange that things are going great, and how could anything interrupt things going great? He felt secure in that. Now, all of us are probably looking for some level of security. And the problem with trying to find a level of security in our lives now, based upon projecting out into the future is we just don't know the future. We don't know what's going to happen tomorrow, let alone a few years from now. Uh, who would have predicted such a catastrophic event for uh, the, the Great Depression? And in our own day, many of you probably have still yet to make New Year's resolutions uh, after 2020, because you were like, 2020 is going to be my year, and then it's still 2020, I think. And so you probably have not even made a New Year's resolution since then, because you're like, what's the point? We don't even know what's going to happen between now and then. With COVID, and now... Uh, the, the economic fallout from some of those pieces and inflation and all the challenges that we are facing, all of those things, if you felt secure in 2019 looking forward into 2020, who would have expected that? And you certainly don't feel secure now. It seems that security is a fleeting thing. Where can we find it in our world? Well, that's really part of the question that is facing the church in Laodicea. Uh, Laodicea is a city in Asia Minor that Jesus is addressing. And uh, I mentioned it in the first sermon that I gave on this when we were looking at the timing of the writing of the book of Revelation. We think Revelation is written in uh, the, the early 90s AD. Uh, and part of the reason we think that is because of this uh, address that Jesus has to the church in Laodicea. He calls them rich. We'll get into this a little bit. Uh, they, the, the church is wealthy. The city is wealthy. Well, 
Laodicea was devastated by an earthquake in 60 uh, or 61 AD. And so uh, part of the reason why we date Revelation later is uh, it would take many years to recover from a devastating earthquake, particularly in the first century. And so this is 30 years after uh, this uh, devastating earthquake, and they've recovered to a place of wealth which clearly is a good thing, right? To, to recover and to begin to thrive and see prosperity in their city, that's a good thing. But it can also be a dangerous thing, particularly for the church. If several of the letters that we've looked at that Jesus is addressing the church looked at how the church will respond to suffering and trouble, this one might be asking, how will the church respond to prosperity? How is the church going to respond to prosperity? Laodicea is in the midst of prosperity, and the question for them is, will you choose Jesus? And that's our question this morning to us. Remember, this is written to seven churches, meaning it's written to the universal church of all time, meaning it's written to us. And therefore, uh, we must decide, in the midst of whatever we're facing, will we choose Jesus? So let's read this letter, starting in verse 14 of Revelation chapter 3. Write this letter to the angel of the church in Laodicea. This is the message from the one who is the Amen, the faithful and true witness, the beginning of God's new creation. I know all the things you do, that you are neither hot nor cold. I wish that you were one or the other, but since you are like lukewarm water, neither hot nor cold, I will spit you out of my mouth. You say, I am rich. I have everything I want. I don't need a thing. And you don't realize that you are wretched and miserable and poor and blind and naked. So I advise you to buy gold from me. Gold that has been purified by fire. Then you will be rich. Also, buy white garments from me so that you will not be shamed by your nakedness. An ointment for your eyes so that you will be able to see. I correct and discipline everyone I love. So be diligent and turn from your indifference. Look, I stand at the door and knock. If you hear my voice and open the door, I will come in and we will share a meal together as friends. Those who are victorious will sit with me on my throne, just as I was victorious and sat with my father on his throne. Anyone with ears to hear must listen to the Spirit and understand what he is saying to the churches. Well, it seems as we keep going back and forth between Jesus speaking to churches in sort of a harsher word and then a more encouraging word, and we're back to a harsher word in this letter. Last week he had a lot of encouraging things to say to Philadelphia to get them to persevere, and this week he is challenging those in Laodicea. Now remember, each of these letters starts with a partial uh, picture of the original vision that John saw of Jesus, keying in on something about Jesus that John saw in that vision that affects this church, some way in which it affects this church. So he says that this is the message from the one who is the Amen. Who is the Amen. This phrase uh, harkens back to what uh, Paul says in 2 Corinthians 1, for all of God's promises have been fulfilled in Christ with a resounding yes. And through Christ, our Amen, which means yes, uh, and through Christ, our amen, which means, yes, ascends to God for His glory. You see, Jesus is the end of all God's promises. He is the fulfillment of all of God's promises to the church. And so, He's addressing this church by saying, I am the amen. The fulfillment of all of God's promises. 
He is the faithful and true witness. This is a key to all of these letters, that Jesus is challenging the church to be His witnesses in the world. Remember, all of Revelation is this uh, anti-empire letter saying, church, will you go with the empire? Will you uh, compromise and go along with the empire, Rome at the time, and to all of us, wherever we're living in, the empire that we live in? Will you go with the empire or will you be a faithful and true witness to Jesus? Jesus faithfully represents and witnesses for God. Will Laodicea join him? The beginning of God's new creation. This is kind of a tricky phrase, but I think this is a pretty good translation. It's the beginning of God's creation, more woodenly translated, but given the emphasis of uh, revelation on the new creation, I don't think this is hearkening back to uh, Jesus as the means by which God created the world, right? Which would be true. God spoke and Jesus is the living word and uh, by the word of Jesus's, or by the power of Jesus' word, the world was established. But I think this is more speaking to the reality that Jesus is the beginning of the new creation. By Jesus' resurrection, he has brought in, he has inaugurated the new kingdom. The new heavens and new earth is already starting. He broke into the present dying age with the new. He is the beginning of this new. Highlighting Jesus as the final fulfillment of God's promises right, the amen, and the launching of the new heavens and new earth, all that God is going to do. All that God has promised to do and all that God is going to do comes in the person of Jesus. This is highlighted here because they're going to be asked, will you choose that or your present circumstances? Which, in this case, for Laodicea, are pretty good. Will you choose the pretty good or will you choose the fulfillment of all God's promises and the beginning of the new heavens and new earth in Jesus? So, normally in these letters, right, the standard form of these letters is vision of Jesus, something the church is doing well, and then a complaint. This one, the church is not doing anything well here. Launches straight into complaint. Straight into complaint. It says, I know all the things you do that you are neither hot nor cold. I wish that you were one or the other, but since you are lukewarm, like lukewarm water, neither hot nor cold, I will spit you out of my mouth. Often, I think, when we read this passage, and I confess the way that I've read this passage for a long time, is that hot is this passionate following of Jesus, and cold is this, I don't like Jesus, this cold in, uh, like running away from Jesus, and they're just sort of indifferent. Well, I don't actually think that that's what this is saying in the midst of this passage. Uh, G.K. Beale in his commentary points out that there's maybe some cultural reference going on here and that Jesus is using an illustration of water to describe actually lukewarm is bad and both hot and cold are good. It's not that cold is bad, hot is good, and lukewarm is sort of indifferent. But actually what Jesus is saying is that hot and cold are good, lukewarm is bad. And here's what Beale says, uh, paraphrasing what Beale says. He says that Laodicea has had two neighboring cities to it, uh, Heropolis and Colossae. Heropolis was known for having some hot springs. They had hot water. Colossae had a source of cold water. Laodicea had no source of water. And so they piped in their water from outside. 
By the time it got to the city, it was lukewarm and dirty. So what Jesus is saying is, you, Laodicea, the church, you're like the water that's in this city. Lukewarm water is nasty. Particularly lukewarm water that gets piped into a city, right? In the ancient world. That's not going to be tasty. And in the ancient world, hot water was good, right? Because it would get rid of all of the bacteria, right? Just like, you know, today. And cold water was good because it was fresh. But lukewarm water was not good. It was worthless. It was worthy of being spit out. So, what Jesus is doing through John is picking an illustration to describe the church in Laodicea. So, lukewarm is not... Well, you're indifferent. You know, you're kind of in the middle. It's fine. It's fine to be indifferent. Just choose one or the other. No, what Jesus is saying is lukewarm is bad. It's bad. Worthy of being spit out by Jesus. Cold is good. Hot is good. Lukewarm is bad. And it's not just that the church is sort of scooting along in some indifference here. Given the context of everything that we've learned about what's going on in Asia Minor and all these other letters, the reason that Laodicea is in prosperity and the church is in prosperity, as we'll get to, is likely, he doesn't say it exactly here, but it's likely because they've compromised in some way with the empire, right? All the way throughout this, uh, in Philadelphia, right? The church was poor and being suffer, uh, and suffering, persecution. Why? Because they had remained faithful to Jesus. Laodicea, there had been some level of compromise already. Some level of compromise to which they had gained prosperity along with the rest of the city and they were not remaining faithful to Jesus. So, what, what exactly is it that they're... What, what, what is the emphasis on why Jesus says that they're lukewarm? Well, He says, you say, I am rich. I have everything I want. I don't need a thing. And you don't realize that you are wretched and miserable and poor and blind and naked. Likely they have compromised in some way with the Roman authorities that have left them financially self-sufficient. They chose empire to maintain their wealth and their comfort rather than to suffer for the sake of knowing Jesus. Now, the temptation is true whether there's compromise or not when there is prosperity. The temptation, no matter how you gain the wealth, whether it's through compromise or through, not not through compromise, right? We're going to talk as we move into this sermon series on the Imago Dei that we are created by God to be industrious, to work, to to create culture, to create thriving, right? Uh, Jeremiah is told by the Lord uh, to tell the people of Israel, when they're in Babylon, seek the prosperity of Babylon. You're supposed to make this place better. It's supposed to be better. Poverty is not a good position for people to be in, right? We are seek to alleviate the suffering of others and to help the city move towards prosperity and everyone move along. Absolutely, that's true. And so what Jesus is not saying here is that the wealth that Laodicea has is inherently the problem. It's that the wealth has caused them to be tempted to be self-sufficient. What do they say? I'm rich. I have everything I want. I don't need a thing. 
They have seen the prosperity that they've enjoyed come and actually make them think that they are sufficient for these things. That they are able, that they've worked it up themselves, they're able to provide for themselves, they don't really need faith. They don't really need to depend upon the Lord because they have everything they want. Not just everything they need, but everything they want. Compare for a moment what we looked at last week in Philadelphia versus Laodicea. In Philadelphia, they were suffering. They were in a difficult place. Which one would you want? Do you want to live with the church in Philadelphia in suffering? Or do you want to live in Laodicea where the church is in comfort and wealth? What if you were able to have everything you want right now? That you were able to have everything you want right now. Not even thinking about sinful things, right? Like, let's, let's remove for a moment this idea of like, well, I probably want some things that I shouldn't want because they're against God's law. Let, let's just remove that. Everything that's good and not sinful, and you can have all of it. But in the midst of that, you don't get Jesus. What would you choose? Would you choose to take Jesus and whatever comes with Jesus? Or would you choose to get everything you want and not Jesus? It's really the question that's before us. And all of us, all of you are thinking right now, you're like, well, of course I'd take Jesus. But the question that Jesus has for them, he says, not, I know what you say you do. He says, I know all that you do. The question is not, what will I say? It's, does my life actually reflect that if I had the choice between taking everything I want and Jesus, that I'd choose Jesus and not everything I want? Does my life actually showcase that that's what I would choose? This is why Jesus says to them, no, you are Wretched and miserable and poor and blind and naked. You're poor. You actually don't really have everything. This wealth that you have is fleeting. It could be that you are right like the president of the New York Stock Exchange in 1928. You have the wealth now. It could be gone tomorrow. Wow, to see you. You faced an earthquake 30 years ago. It could all get wiped out. Today, it's fleeting security that you have in wealth. But I, Jesus, I am the beginning of the new creation. What will your wealth now be worth then? It's fleeting and can be lost in a second. You're blind. Not only are you poor, actually, because the wealth that you have is fleeting. It could be gone tomorrow. But you're actually blind to the fact that you need something. That you lack something. You are blind to this. You don't see that you're actually needy. You see, the point that Jesus is trying to get at with them is it doesn't matter what you have in this life that looks like security. You, as a human, made in the image of God and then fallen, are needy. You're needy of the Lord. The attitude of self-sufficiency that the church in Laodicea is showcasing here is not one of faith. The attitude of faith is one that says, 
Actually, I am poor, blind, and naked, and I need you, Jesus. Which is what he's trying to highlight for them. And, remember, all of the language of Revelation, all of the metaphors of Revelation, they're meant to be intense so that you wake up. Jesus is addressing the church, not the world. He's addressing the church, and he's saying, Church, you're like lukewarm water, and I will spit you out of my mouth. That is meant for you to say, Oh no, I need to wake up. What am I missing here? What am I missing here? Am I really sufficient or am I in need of something? Am I in need of something? Poor, blind, and naked. He goes on to say that you can buy clothes, white garments for me, so that you will not be shamed by your nakedness. This phrase of nakedness here is that their shame is uncovered. You think that the, you, Laodicea, you think that the poor, the destitute, the suffering ones, those like we saw in Philadelphia, those are the shameful things. Jesus says, no, those are the people that I am near to. I'm near to the brokenhearted, the needy, the downcast. It's you whose ambition, self-sufficiency, and compromised wealth produces shame, and you have nothing to cover it. All of your resources, all of your wealth, all of those things can't actually cover the desperate need that you have as a human to cover up your shame and your sin. Right? Isn't that true for us today? No matter what we develop as humans, and we have made and developed some amazing things, and they just keep getting better and better, and not a single one of them answers some of the fundamental problems of human nature. Where can I hide from the shame that I feel? Where can I experience life in which I am no longer feeling the pain and the brokenness and the shame of everyday existence? Where can I hide all of the things that I've done in my life? Where can I hide my sin? Where can I get away from the reality of who I am? Only in Jesus. Our wealth, our resources, none of the things that we have are actually going to cover those things up. They're just like in the garden. In the original, right, when when Adam and Eve fall into sin and they recognize, oh my goodness, I now feel shame at my nakedness. And they say, let's make some fig leaves. Let's, Let's get some fig leaves and make some garments for us. That's what we do with all of our resources is we're just trying to create more elaborate fig leaf coverings for our shame. They're much more elaborate than fig leaves. But they're the same thing. And what Jesus is saying is, that won't cover your shame. No matter how much power you achieve, no matter how much wealth you secure, no matter how many relationships you get, no matter how much fun and entertainment you get, no matter all of those things, none of that will actually cover the shame that you experience. None of that will actually heal any of those painful places. None of that will pay for your sin. None of it will. So the solution is that Jesus says, church, you have an option. Will you choose to continue in self-sufficiency and seeking to solve all of these problems by yourself 
and get spit out? Or will you repent and choose table fellowship with Jesus? See, it's interesting. Jesus says, you're like lukewarm water that I'm going to spit out. But he actually offers a different form of eating together. He says, actually, if you open the door to me, I'll come in and we'll eat together. We can have table fellowship. Repent. Repent. That's Again, Jesus comes with this harsh word, right? You are not like you say that you are. You are lukewarm and I'm going to spit you out of my mouth. But what is the answer that Jesus offers? He's not just saying like, okay, church, figure it out. What does He say? He says, so I advise you to buy gold from Me. Gold that has been purified by fire. Then you will be rich. Also, buy white garments for me so that you will not be shamed by your nakedness. An ointment for your eyes so that you will be able to see. I correct and discipline everyone I love, so be diligent and turn from your indifference. That phrase, turn from your indifference, is simply repent. I think it actually picks up on some of the misconception of the lukewarmness in that uh, they're they're making a translation uh, choice to say that the problem is indifference, when I actually think it's far worse than indifference. But the point is the same. Repent. Be diligent and turn away. The reality is, Jesus is offering everything that He says they need. He says, you need these things. The only thing that I require of you is need. You don't have to bring anything. Come, get gold. Come, get clothes. Come, get ointment for your eyes. Come, and guess what? It's all free. What is John says this at the end of Revelation. Uh, Revelation twenty two seventeen. The Spirit and the Bride say, "Come." Let anyone who hears this say, "Come." Let anyone who is thirsty come. Let anyone who desires drink freely from the water of life. This is a recollection of Isaiah chapter fifty five. Is anyone thirsty? Come and drink. Even if you have no money, come, take your choice of wine or milk. It's all free. Why spend your money on food that does not give you strength? Why pay for food that does not you no good? Listen to me and you will eat what is good. You will enjoy the finest food. Come to me with your ears wide open. Listen and you will find life. I will make an everlasting covenant with you. I will give you all the unfailing love I promised to David. Remember, what did Jesus say at the beginning? I am the Amen. The fulfillment of every promise, including this one, the everlasting covenant to David. I am the fulfillment of every promise. This promise that you can come to the Lord and freely get all that you need is fulfilled in King Jesus. And He says, I'm here. See how... How I used him to display my power among the peoples. I made him a leader among the nations. Speaking of David. You also will command nations you do not know and peoples unknown to you will come running to obey because I, the Lord, your God, the Holy One of Israel, have made you glorious. Speaking of Israel, which as we saw last week, right? The fulfillment of Israel in the New Testament is the church. The multi-ethnic people of God scattered throughout the globe. This is us, the church. Seek the Lord while you can find Him. Call on Him now while He is near. Let the wicked change their ways and banish their very, the very thought of doing wrong. Let them turn to the Lord that He may have mercy on them. 
Yes, turn to our God, for He will forgive generously. My thoughts are nothing like your thoughts, say the Lord. And my ways are far beyond anything you could imagine. For just as the heavens are higher than the earth, so my ways are higher than your ways, and my thoughts higher than your thoughts. I think it's interesting. I think the way the Lord goes to that at the end of this incredible promise, this incredible promise that you can freely get from the Lord whatever you need, He goes on to say that my ways are higher than your ways, and my thoughts are higher than your thoughts. It's because... Just like what Jesus is doing here, God comes with a harsh word and an answer to the very problem that he presents for them, which is not what we expect. Someone coming in judgment, pointing out the flaws of you, is that the person that you automatically think, oh, that's the person I need to go to? This person that comes and is critical of me is the person that I should go to to have those things solved. Often that's not how it works in our lives, is it? Right? The person that is critical of me is not the person I usually go to and say, please help me solve that problem that you've pointed out. Right? We usually run the other way. But in Jesus, he's pointing out those things because he loves us. What do you say? He says, I correct and discipline everyone I love. Church in Laodicea, do not think that you are so high and mighty in your wealth and your resources and in your power that you are beyond correction. No, I love you so much that I will tell you that you're missing it. But I'm not just going to tell you that you're missing it. I'm going to give you what you're missing. It's me. I'm right here. I correct and discipline everyone I love, so be diligent and turn from your indifference. Look, I stand at the door and knock. If you hear my voice and open the door, I will come in and we will share a meal together as friends. I stand at the door and knock. Jesus is not saying, here I'm pointing out these issues. Now come, clean yourself up, figure out a way to get better and then come here. He doesn't say, Laodicea, you're rich, but look at your neighbors who are poor. Give your money away and then come here. Sorry. He says, I'm right here. I'm standing at the door and knocking. You don't have to clean yourself up first. You don't have to do anything. You don't have gold that you need. Right? You think you have gold. You don't have what you need. You don't have eternal gold. You don't have what I offer but I'll give it to you for free. Just ask. I'll give you exactly what you need. You're blind. You can't see what you don't see. But I'll give you ointment for your eyes so that you will see clearly. By the Holy Spirit, I will transform you so that you will begin to see the world properly. So that you will begin to recognize ways in which I'm moving in the world and ways in which you need to understand what what, what should I do with my resources, right? 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 He's, he's not saying to the church in Laodicea, all right, give everything up and run to poverty like Philadelphia is. But probably what is going to happen is if they repent and grow and change and the Holy Spirit illuminates for them that their brothers and sisters in Philadelphia are suffering, you know what they're probably going to do? They're going to raise up some money from within Laodicea to send to Philadelphia to care for the church. Because that's what the Lord requires of them. That's what the Lord wants of them. He's going to open their eyes to the things that they need. 
He's providing everything that they need. You have shame at your nakedness. The very problem in the garden. I will give you clothes. I will cover you. Not only will I forgive your sins, but I will cover your shame. I will forgive your sins so that you do not face any punishment for the things that you have done against my law. But even in the midst of that, we still experience shame and brokenness. And he says, I will cover that too. I have everything you need. And I'm standing right here knocking on the door of this church. Let me in and let's have table fellowship. Let's eat together. I don't know what Laodicea is going to face next. I don't know if they're going to face what, what they ended up facing next, whether it was more prosperity or suffering and poverty. But I do know if they repent, they'll have Jesus to walk with them through all of it. Both prosperity and suffering. Here's the thing. What about for us? What if we, at the end of hearing all of these things, you're like, yes! But still there's this tug that says, but it would be really nice to say I have everything I want. That sounds good. Being able to say I have everything I want. Those things are not bad in and of themselves. But the question is, will you have table fellowship with Jesus? Here's the thing. Even the thought that you have, man, I still want all those other things. Bring that to Jesus. Don't run the other way with it. Bring that to Him. That's the thing that He'll work with you on. That's the thing that He'll come and He'll answer you on. Open the door to Jesus. Choose Jesus. Don't say in your heart you have it all together. And I know all of you are thinking, well, of course I wouldn't say that. But again, Jesus sees all that you do. If you were to take an accurate account of your life, Is your life more marked by, I have everything I want, I'm good, or I am desperate and needy of Jesus? And I need Jesus. And I want table fellowship with Jesus. Functionally, do I live in such a way that I can endure whatever it is because I have table fellowship with Jesus? Because Jesus is far greater. What does the Apostle Paul say in Philippians? He says, Yes, everything else is worthless when compared with the infinite value of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. This is something that Paul does all the time where he takes an argument from the lesser and applies it to the greater. He's not saying that anything that you have is completely worthless. In the context here, he's talking about his own righteousness, his own good works. He's not saying, go out and sin a whole bunch. It's fine. No, that's not what he's saying. What he's saying is, every good thing that I do is fine in and of itself. But when I compare it to Jesus, oh, it's worthless. Having everything in your life that you want, not just all that you need, but anything that you desire, this creation is glorious. There's awesome things out there. And we're going to spend all eternity making new awesome things and experiencing all of them without sin. 
And that's some of the things that we're going to talk about all throughout this, right? And some of the encouragement that Jesus has for them. He says, I'm the beginning of all the new creation. You really want to experience prosperity and glorious things? This world has nothing on the new heavens and new earth. Nothing. You really want to experience life as you are meant to, as an embodied human created in the image of God and then redeemed by the blood of Jesus? Wait. It's going to get better. It's going to get awesome. But all the awesome things that you have right now, great. You could even compare them to other things and be like, man, this is great, right? This, we'll see if this illustration works, right? When I go off cuff, it usually doesn't work. But we, we borrowed a, uh, a recliner from my in-laws for, for when we had the baby. And uh, recently, Friday, I got back my recliner that I had like nine years ago that we gave to Whitney's brother. It's awesome. It's so much better than this other recliner that we had. Now, the other recliner was fine, but this one, it's so much better, right? But even that... It's a great recliner. I'm going to watch sports in it. It's going to be awesome, right? Compare that to Jesus, and it's worthless. Now, now that sounds funny, right? But, But this is actually how we have to think. Because that little recliner thing, that might be the thing in my life this weekend that I was like, man, this is awesome. This is going to be the best. But what is it in your life right now? That's like the thing that you're looking forward to. It's the thing that you're waiting on. It's the thing that's going to make everything better. And then you get it and you're like, yeah, that's awesome. But man, it could be better. I mean, this thing doesn't have a plug for me to plug stuff into like all the new recliners. Right? It's, you know, it's old or whatever. Right? Things fade away. But Jesus is saying, no, I am sufficient. Compare all of those things to Jesus and everything that He offers. Will you choose Jesus? And when we choose Jesus, He freely gives us the Gospel. He freely gives us new life. He freely gives us all things. And we get the promise of inheriting the new heavens and new earth. You get everything. When you choose this life, you lose everything. When you choose Jesus, you might lose this life, but you gain everything. That's the choice that's before us. And it's not a choice that is primarily in this context given to the world out there in a sort of evangelistic context. That's true. And this passage certainly is true of that. The primary focus of this passage, though, is the church. Because Jesus is saying, it's possible for you to experience goodness and prosperity and lose Jesus. It's possible for you to keep getting good things in the context of a Christian community and lose the very thing that we're gathered for, which is King Jesus. City Hope, don't do that. No matter what happens, No matter what God brings to us in this city, in this church, whether suffering or prosperity, no matter what it is, we have to choose actively all the time. Table fellowship with Jesus is what we want. And He'll sort out everything else. So today, City Hope, choose Jesus.
Because he is freely offering all that you need right now. Let's pray together. Father, we come to you now and we admit that we are broken and fallen, that we are fallible, that we are weak, that we often would choose to have everything we want versus having the fear of losing security and still having Jesus. So Lord, we we, we just admit that. That's who we are. So we ask that you would come to us and that you would heal us. That you would, by your Spirit, showcase for us our neediness, that we would choose Jesus. That you would showcase for us the beauty of Jesus by your Spirit right now, that our hearts would be so attuned to seeing Jesus as the Amen, the answer to all of your promises, God. That we would see Jesus as the beginning of the new heavens and new earth, the new creation that we will inherit, and that we would choose Jesus and say, everything else compared to Jesus is nothing. And I will do everything I can to get Jesus if I can just know him. Jesus, would you do that in us now, we pray. In Christ's name, amen.